This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, everybody knows the World Cup is being played at the moment. Even if you're not a football fan, you will have heard about the arguments, the discrimination the Qataris hold against many people, gay people, workers who want to be paid. It's been a shocking World Cup for people and it's awakened many to Qatar's culture and it's a culture that we don't like and covering this story for the london independent is miguel delaney who is the chief football writer for the independent in britain he's covered three world cups four european championships and 14 champions league finals uh he's a very good writer and he joins us now from doha we recorded this in difficult circumstances miguel was in the press center just before Brazil played Serbia. But we thought what he had to say was interesting uh, and important that you should hear it. So if you forgive us the acoustics, this is the story from Qatar. I said in my introduction, Miguel, that it was the assignment from hell. It sounds like the assignment from hell. How difficult is it or how easy is it with so many good, bad stories around well, I mean, the one thing I would say, from a purely journalistic perspective, it's actually quite an interesting World Cup because there's so much going on. Basically, since since the eve of the tournament, so I arrived on Saturday morning, it's been absolutely non-stop because I basically, I, I basically got in to the Infantino, the bizarre Infantino, I'm not going to say press conference, it was basically a, a media address. Yes. And from then, it hasn't stopped. I mean, for all people that, for all people thought that the... the um, all the issues have faded into the background once the football started. That hasn't really happened. They've just persevered. And of course, the latest right now is this ongoing controversy over the one love armband, which had been, I, I would have thought, actually quite a meek and small gesture from the yes. seven European teams initially. But it's actually grown into quite a big thing. Um, so, I mean, yeah, it's, it's we've been kept very busy. Also, there's the small size of the place. So I'm, we're only on, what, the fourth day of the tournament? Uh, now, and I'm about to go to my sixth game. Um, so, uh, now, from that perspective, though, it had been billed as 
the most convenient world club ever. I wouldn't say that. If you're trying to get across town, it's a nightmare. Uh, the traffic is, is so bad. I, I mean, there's so many elements to a cup, to be honest, where you felt the Qataris aren't used to hosting big events or huge crowds. Um, I would also say, I, mean, I, think, I think this is pretty important given what the World Cup, at least in terms of uh, its ideal or everything good about a World Cup is supposed to be, it's probably the worst possible venue, most of all because there's basically, there's no public spaces. It's, I mean, Qatar is, you know, essentially characterized by private space. Yes. So there's, 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 there's very few places for fans to congregate. Now, that's lessened because so few fans have actually traveled. I think the bigger numbers are from Latin America, since apparently 90,000 Mexicans here. There's a lot of Argentines as well. They're very noticeable. And there's a, there's a lot from Saudi Arabia and some of the other uh, Middle East and North African regions. But other than that, it still feels very thinned out. What I would like it to is Doha is almost like one of the... So Doha, which is obviously the center of the world at the moment, but in terms of the atmosphere, it's almost like um, one of the fringe cities or one of the lesser venues at another World Cup in a better country. So if you're, I don't know, maybe something like if you're in Rustenburg or um, in, in South Africa or, or, or uh, Manaus in Brazil, it has that sort of feel as if, because there's just not that many people here. Um, so, but of course, that, that's the least of this World Cup's many issues. Let me ask you about FIFA and the way they've handled things. Gianni Infantino now is the new Sepp Blatter, and we must remember when we're talking about this, particularly for people who aren't interested in football, that this tournament was awarded to Qatar in 2010, which is a long time. There was no culture of football or history of football. They only had one stadium, and they had a hell of a lot to do. We know Sepp Blatter, and even before him, there were corrupt FIFA presidents. But the corruption involved in this is on another scale altogether because it reaches right into your rights. And maybe the most vivid example of that, Miguel, was the refusal to allow the players from the seven European nations to wear the rainbow armbands and the way that they stopped England and Harry Kane, for example, of doing that. It's been known for some time now those armbands were going to be worn. They didn't say anything until the very last minute, correct? Yeah, that's exactly it. Can you the, tell uh, me how the they executed that? So the federations put in requests weeks ago. In fact, I remember I was at um, a foreign office briefing just about three weeks ago in which the one, one of the uh, officials from the Welsh FA said, we'll be wearing the armband. We haven't received a, a response from FIFA yet, but um, whatever it is, we'll wear the armbands no matter what. Now, they didn't. Uh, and it does feel like there was a certain element of the game chicken here, in that FIFA obviously didn't say anything. The moment daring the, um, the federations to wear them, or at least that was the feeling from the federations, or else they're going to, to drop out because of the possibility of sanction. And then finally it came to a head on Monday morning with a meeting at the, at the England team hotel where what was left, essentially left dangling in the air was that there was going to, was that it was essentially no rules are set in black and white. Uh, and FIFA could, I mean, it would have gone beyond the yellow car. There was talk of kind of a suspension for the captains. So once it got to the point where they would have risked performance, or, or put the players out of the chance of playing a World Cup in that way because it, it possibly it could have been more than one game suspension. Nobody knew. Then the federations stepped in and basically took the decision out of the players' hands. 
Now, there is a bigger issue there, I suppose, in that you could you could ask, why didn't the players say more? Why didn't they use their voice in the period up to this? I think that's a legitimate question. Um, but, I mean, just, there, there would have been a problem, Miguel, if, if they'd known earlier the players, perhaps they could have talked it through themselves, talked to other teams and presented a united front. But as I understand it, six FIFA officials appeared in the England camp just hours before the game. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and there were fairly high-level talks about it. Yeah. Um, and obviously, kind of the seven federations convened themselves. But I mean, even if you kind of zoom out from that as well, I think it's a point making to touch on what what you're talking about and, and ultimately bring it back around to the Ironman as well. If you think about what this World Cup is, it's essentially, it's a moment in time where what is essentially a very rich family were capable of spending £220 billion on pretty much anything. And that could have been some service to humanity, something that actually had a proper legacy. Instead, they decided to bring a football tournament to the desert. Yes. Uh, which, which is remarkable, a remarkable kind of idea in itself. But to host that tournament, it wasn't just about the expenditure, obviously. It was, and, just, and this is ultimately, like, for all the kind of moral relativism, all the talk about Qatar is compared to the West, all of Argentina's attempts to appeal to kind of criticism of the, of the West. No, no sporting competition or World Cup should be held on the back of people suffering. Is it? Am I right in believing, Miguel, that when they were first awarded it, they said they would play the World Cup when it's always played in the summer? Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's been a huge. This has been, as you know, a huge sort of problem for every association in South America, in Europe, for everywhere. They got to stop the season right in the middle of the season for say six weeks. It's a nightmare, and they lied from the very beginning. Well, this has basically dominated football for the last twelve years, and it's completely reshaped the game. And you're right; yeah, it was only what five years ago or six years ago when it was announced they were actually switching from summer to winter yes. because that was unfeasible. I mean, there was all sorts of talk about air-conditioned stadiums and all this sort of thing, but it just would have been ridiculous. I mean, just as a bit of a tangent, I was out for a run yesterday and it happened upon some park near us. And the park, it was, it was only 25, 26 degrees, and the park was uh, air-conditioned. So, I mean, you, you wonder about the environmental cost of the whole thing. I mean, yes. you've got air-conditioned blasting the whole time. But just, I mean, in relation to what you're saying as well, so the current FIFA would have always argued they inherited this. And there was a lot of machination. I mean, it wasn't just about a, a summer World Cup for a while. It was an attempt to take it off Qatar, say, for a few years. Then, because every, because they knew it was going to be high risk, that was in FIFA's own documents. Then there was an attempt to spread it around the entire Gulf, which would have been a political, politically very complicated as well. And eventually an acceptance. But and it, I, just, I was talking to someone on exactly this issue today, one of the federations, and... I mean, you could, you could describe the kind of original scene as the uh, awarding of the World Cup. And fair enough, this FIFA regime that came in after Bladder inherited that. But the argument now among a lot, especially the European federations, is that they've kind of made it worse. And this is where we get to the bigger question about things like the armband and all that, and, and also about the human rights legacy, where every human rights group you speak to, well, they, obviously they're against what this World Cup is, but they keep saying, basically, that Football had it did, did have a unique opportunity here to use its immense leverage and like the voice of very famous, very powerful people to actually affect proper change and bring reform to the migrant labor system. Now, every single one of those human rights groups would say now it's basically a lost opportunity. So FIFA hasn't used this leverage, it hasn't justified this World Cup. And now as it, as the tournament goes on, you have issues like the armband. There are serious questions to be asked about you know how unified is the messaging or how separate 
guitar and V-bar in the running of this book. Who's actually running running it? Yes. Uh, because the big the biggest question, obviously, I mean, what set a tone for the tournament was basically that um, the, the the beer band. Now that's a very small thing, and you could not, you could reasonably argue that had they brought this in months ago, then out of cultural appreciation for what guitar is as a state practice for Muslim, it's absolutely fair enough that they don't sell beer outside ground. I think yes. that would have been accepted. But to do it two days beforehand, yes. after so many assurances, kind of sums up probably, and, it, and it's similar with the armband, or say, another issue, is, I have a story today now that FIFA have received assurances from guitar that actually rainbow items will not be confiscated at stadiums. Uh, but that was supposed that was supposed to be promised anyway. But yet fans were going and they had all these items taken off them. Um, so again, it points to the question of who's actually running this tournament. It's, it's, in, a, in any other previous World Cup, it's been FIFA who almost kind of come in and use their their immense weight. Whereas it hasn't really been the case in Qatar. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry. And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Now, let me ask you about Gianni... Infantino, he's Swiss. Last time I saw him, he was pulling the balls out of the bowl at the Champions League draw, and he seemed like uh, his English was good, and that was quite impressive. Next thing I hear, he's the president of FIFA. He has succeeded Blatter. Now, he held a press conference, what was supposed to be a press conference, as you said, earlier this week. And it was a rant. And he seemed, we saw it, he appeared to have lost his mind. Can you tell us what he said and what he was trying to convey and your own impression of his mental state at that stage? 
Well, well, you're right. In, I mean, it's funny. I, I once asked uh, someone in FIFA about one of the other times where Infantino came out with something that, you know, raised the eyebrows of the entire world. And the line was, well, one thing you have to realise with Gianni is he's a showman. When he gets up, he just goes with it. You know, he wants a bit more than that for someone who's running an organisation like FIFA and, again, the political leverage it has. In this case, I think, yeah, so much of it was a monologue, uh, not, not exactly a particularly logical or uh, coherent one, especially the lines of the stuff about kind of how he's experienced discrimination because he used to have red hair and all this sort of thing. It was absolutely nonsense. Or trying to say, you know, stuff like, and, and these are, of course, for bad and folks, today I feel gay, today I feel disabled. It, it, it was remarkable and really quite obnoxious and offensive. And he also said he felt today that he was a migrant worker. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To kind of, for someone like that to pass himself in that experience is, it's, it's really out there. But for all that, there was actually some political calculation to his speech. Because I think the most significant line of the whole thing was basically when he referred to 3,000 3, years of, of, of European, yes. of, of basically problematic. Because what he's doing there and what people in UEFA think is a and people in the European Federation think is the real kind of direction of travel in terms of politics, uh, and especially as regards forthcoming um, re-election, re-challenge, is that basically um, Infantino is appealing to the, the football world outside the traditional powers of Europe. Yes. He's, he, he, when he got into that job, and again, you mentioned when he used to draw the balls in the Champions League, it's amazing. People who know Infantino would say how they sometimes can't square the image that he has now with the kind of fairly bureaucratic figure. He used to be at UEFA as general secretary about 10 years ago. Now it's funny. The fact he put himself in a position to draw the balls in the Champions League is now seen as part of a wider game. He's always very ambitious. But when he got it, and how he got into FIFA in the first place, he basically, it was a political vacuum. Everyone expected him to be Patini. Then Patini had to clear his name and he caught up in the same uh, storm that basically caused regime change at FIFA. So out of that, suddenly, he went to general secretary who was basically known, as you say, making the Champions League draw, was just catapulted into this position. Now, there was a sense that he was going to be a night watchman at the time, but from there, because he didn't have that many backers in UEFA, really. But from there, he, what he did was he immediately targeted Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Asia for his power block, particularly Africa. And so all this language that has to be put into that context, and I'm not, I'm not saying that uh, Infantino has done this himself, the, the, the view within UEFA is that he's very much appealed to this idea of oh, the, trying, trying to cast as these fat, wealthy Europeans won't give up their riches to help the, the wider good of the game. No, yeah, he's actually not. There is a merit in that argument. Yeah, I mean, that was a trick that Blatter, a card that he played 30 years ago in order to consolidate his power as president of FIFA. Uh, the question now, Miguel, is... Can FIFA really, is it sustainable in its present form? It is clearly corrupt. It has cohabited with Qatar. It has cohabited with the persecution of LBGTQ plus people. It has cohabited with a regime that is willing to see thousands, and we don't know the real figure, of migrant workers die. And this, it seems to me, just a week into it, has been a disaster for Qatar. Who would ever go near that place? It's got to be very interesting. So I think one of the most interesting things about this competition is basically what happens when it's all finished. What happens to all the stadiums, how they're used, what's the legacy going to be, particularly as regards reform. And 
there is a real danger about what actually happens to the World Cup itself. Benito's yeah. talking about expanding it to 40 teams. It, uh, this does sully it. But, of course, who are, who are actually one of Infantino's main political allies? Who, who's he most close to? Well, it's actually well, a state that had previously been Qatar's main regional rivals. So that seems to be all given what's happened in this World Cup, which is Saudi Arabia. So what does everyone think Infantino's plan for 2030 is? But to bring this World Cup to yeah. Saudi Arabia, which would be all of these problems in Qatar, but by orders of magnitude more. Yes, and he talked about, if he wanted, he'd take it to North Korea. Yeah, Mr. Mark, look, look, some of this is obviously Infantino himself, and just from talking to people involved in these sort of circles, some of it is also the question of what these sort of roles actually do to people. Because you think about what it is to be president of FIFA, president of UEFA, you're essentially, you've got all of the power of a pretty significant state because you can bestow the um, the capital of yes. football and the World Cup and people who had actually none of the responsibilities so suddenly you're being feed by all these kind of you know, presidential figures heads of state whoever and you know as to me like, be a very intoxicating thing and hence they all get into this view where they basically all it was the same with Flatter they all want to know about Peace Prize that, that's, that's how they're looking at when really what FIFA should be doing is trying to safeguard the game but of course that just brings us to the question what is actually what is FIFA actually for? It's supposed to be the ultimate authority in football. But if you look at every single major issue of football now, so we're talking about how, how all these problematic states, like the owners of Manchester City, the owners of Newcastle, the owners of Paris Saint-Germain, or Qatar, what they want to do to football, competitive balance, it's, you know, the effect, the effect of all these social institutions. In fact, so many leagues are becoming so predictable. And FIFA has absolutely no say in this. In fact, by basically forming these partnerships with states like Qatar, with states like Saudi Arabia, they're almost they're, they're facilitating this, this process of, you know, academics would call sports washing. Well, you're in England, you work in London for a big, you know, a big newspaper. When you look at football at all levels now, at soccer, is it irredeemably and irretrievably corrupt from top to bottom? I would say it's a broken sports structure. And, and we're actually, I think we're heading into a very interesting period in football. It's not a very productive period because we could have a great a great split and a great reset in the game. Yeah. So there's, I mean, obviously there's this court case over the next step of the European Super League in December, yes. which will basically decide whether we go to a full case um, uh, over whether UEFA and FIFA are, sorry, have a monopoly in terms of setting up competitions. So that could bring a split in the game. Incidentally, Miguel, I think they'll lose that case. I, w I wouldn't be surprised. If because, they, if well, if you look at the Bosman ruling, Bosman won because the European court ruled that football was a business, not a sport. And yeah. if that same ruling holds, which it will do, then they're entitled to do what they want, these big clubs. Well, this is it. Now, I suppose the other side of it is that UEFA would argue they haven't, and this is the driving force of their case has been, a monopoly is needed because it's ultimately about uh, a safeguard of the sport. But then you can question things like, um, they would argue that monopoly is necessary because uh, they're trying to sa safeguard the score. But then you can legitimately question that because there's so there's such a financial imbalance in the game. There are such splits. If you look, I mean, if you compare European football even 20 years ago, most, most these great football cultures all across the Balkans, all across Eastern Europe, yes. there are now kind of economic wastelands because yes. there's, there's so much imbalance. So, I mean, are you able to protect the game in that sense? From that perspective, I think you're right that you could lose this case. But they do have a, a lot of political backing. And it's, I mean, 
everyone seems to think it's 50-50 and it depends on the, uh, the judgment of um, a, a few judges. Right. Let me ask you about what, what it's like to be there now. Presumably, you're in a posh hotel. Oh, well, we're, we're not actually. We're uh, we, we have just a rented accommodation. Right. Well, let, me, let me ask you then about the, some of these porter cabins, almost that we've seen fans pay a lot of money for and be robbed. Essentially, why have the Qataris done that? Well, I mean, I suppose they've done it because so much of this is so makeshift. Um, because they, did, they didn't have the infrastructure. And this is just another one of the reasons why they, they shouldn't have been able to host the World Cup, because especially in a, in a day where so much is about the sustainability of these tournaments, and infrastructure should obviously be essential. But yes, the tariff has built, and it's, it's an iron duke that it's gone so long constructing all this, and yet they still don't have enough, and you've got these situations like these, these border cabins. Um, and of course, everyone needs to make a return to the tournament still. Um, so, it's, I mean, it's not a cheap place to go to, considering. And, and that's another thing that this, this World Cup has lost, where it, it hasn't been the great global party because not enough people have come. Right. Now, as we go through the tournament from here, it seems to me, Miguel, the most eloquent protest was the German team with their hands over their mouth. It was clever. They can't, I, I don't see what sanction can be put on them. Is this a moment? do you think that will just pass by and the old corruption will continue? It's not a turning point and the game isn't going to become righteous and decent all of a sudden, or is it? Well, what I, what I do think it will do is it's essentially perpetuated a problem and made it wider. So, I mean, had, yes. had basically, had, had FIFA allowed the, the teams to wear these armbands, well, I suppose you would have the story would have passed by now. Yes. Um, they would have made their protest. The tower might have been a bit... Well, this is the thing. So throughout this story, we've been told that all of the records actually come from FIFA, not from Qatar. Um, but, so, but what's actually happened is, by not allowing the players to wear the armband, it's made a lot of the federations furious, particularly the Germans and the Danish. I mean, yes. they're, 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 they've been quite open now about they're, going to, they're not going to endorse Infantino, even though, of course, he's going to be re-elected very easily. And I think it just fosters this growing split between UEFA and FIFA, because this is another side of this, in terms of kind of potential damage to the World Cup. When just last year, when FIFA tried to introduce this idea of a biennial World Cup, one every two years, I mean, UEFA were really aggravated about that, but they managed to get the South American Federation Carnival on board as well. And what do they do? They, they really politically outmaneuvered FIFA by setting up, by basically forming an alliance, setting up this Finalissima tournament between the winners of South America and the winners of Copa America and the European Championship. And, and entering into talks about pension and the Nations League expanding across the Atlantic to include Europe, European and South American teams. And that was essentially a message to FIFA. If you continue yeah. this biennial World Cup, right. we don't need your competition. We can play our own. We're the ones with all the stars. Um, so FIFA lost that quite badly. But there's always been a belief there that FIFA's, that was, within, within the European Federations anyway, there's always been a belief there that that, that move by the biennial World Cup was really FIFA saying, it was almost like a kind of a, a bait and switch. Well, we won't do that, but let us have an expanded Club World Cup. Um, because ultimately, at the moment, the, the real power and the real money is in the club game. And FIFA wants some of those Champions League riches. They yes. want their own expanded Club World Cup. Uh, so again, it's just, it's just another strand to all this. But I, and I do, so there's already a split between UEFA and FIFA over this. And I think this incident will only widen that. And I want to ask you a final question. Miguel, about 
a statement made by a former Qatari international, Khalid Salman, who described homosexuality as, quote, damage in the mind. Now, the degree of hatred, the sanctions, you can go to prison, and all of that, the outright hatred of something that is and, and expressed the way it's expressed, the, the game itself is damaged, in my view. And, and all of us who are part of it, if we don't rebut that kind of crazy talk. Yeah, I mean, I, and, as and you say. Is there, but there are people, and I see them on television everywhere. I hear them, and you know the game, Miguel. You've been around it for a long time now. There are lots of people in the game who say, let's get on with the football and let's not be talking about these things. But we can't get on with the football, can we? Because these things no. are endemic. This corruption, this prejudice, this hideous discrimination against people because of their sexuality cannot be normalized. And that's the, the problem here. They're trying to normalize something that is sick. That's, I mean, it was extremely violent language used. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, and again, it's, it, I, I, for me, it's kind of the second great shame after this World Cup, after obviously the fact it's built on what human rights groups would call modern slavery, and, yes. and migrant, migrant workers themselves would call uh, modern slavery, is the fact this is supposed to be the global party, and a significant portion of the globe doesn't feel comfortable because of both not just Qatar's laws, but also their attitudes yes. to uh, LGBTQ issues. Uh, and so I was on a call just last week. Where they had three lines, Pride, the, the England uh, LGBTQ groups, where they said they're just not comfortable going to that, even though they were comfortable going to Russia. Uh, and, and it kind of cuts back to this issue repeatedly spoken about tonight, where, I mean, Qatar, it keeps going on about the insurance and stealing and how uh, actually it's, it's permissive. Um, but the reality has been something else, as you can see in comments like that. Uh, and you're completely right. I mean, the, the view from such groups as well is that it just shows how the game, for all it tries to use, for all it tries to kind of talk about its principles and regard to inclusiveness, but to just go to just normalize the situation shows it doesn't, it, it's a secondary issue. And again, none of this should be normalized. It's absolutely remarkable and staggering that it's carrying on like that. And even the fact that a simple gesture like that, as one small show of solidarity, has been so stamped down on yeah. is, is illustrated with this wider issue. Okay, I want to ask you one final, final question. Is football coming home, Miguel? Um, I think people was, should... They made a very good start the other day. They did. They're not as good as Spain, though. That's not that's no, no. fair. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think people should... Those who are very um, resistant to the idea of England winning that, they should possibly adapt to the idea that it could be possible now. Okay. I, I don't think they'll win it. Well, I think they'll get very close. Okay, Miguel, we're very grateful to you for joining us from Qatar. No Take care of yourself. Uh, and Miguel Delaney is chief uh, football writer for The Independent in London, and he's a very experienced and very good journalist, and we're very happy to have him on the stand. Thank you very much, Miguel. Sure, Take care you. of yourself, and if football comes home, make sure you come home with it. <laughs> to Thank you. Uh, thank you yeah. very much indeed. <laughs> We're grateful to Miguel, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for. Now we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>